Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks for listening in on another episode. Or if this is your first time stopping by, I'm grateful to have you. This podcast is all about the getting started moments, the turning points that got each guest started on a new path toward happiness, the ups and downs of the journey, how they were able to commit to a change, and all the lessons learned along the way. I hope you all enjoyed this particular episode, so let's jump right in and get it started. On this week's episode, please welcome in Laura Gastner-Odding, who is an author, catalyst, and coach. And I'm going to read a quick bio on Laura before we jump into the episode. Laura helps people get unstuck and achieve extraordinary results. Through limitless possibility, Laura collaborates with change agents, entrepreneurs, investors, leaders, and donors to push past the doubt and indecision that consign great ideas to limbo. She delivers strategic thinking, well-honed wisdom, and a catalytic perspective informed by decades of navigating change across the startup, nonprofit, political, and philanthropic landscapes. Laura's 25-year resume is defined by her entrepreneurial edge. She served as a presidential appointee in Bill Clinton's White House, helping shape AmeriCorps, left a leadership role at a respected nonprofit search firm, Isaacson Miller, to expand the startup execsearches.com, and founded and ran the nonprofit Professionals Advisory Group, which partnered with the full gamut of mission-driven nonprofit executives, from startup dreamers to scaling social entrepreneurs to global philanthropists. She is the author of Mission Driven, a book for those moving from profit to purpose, and most recently, the author of Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life which debuted at number two on the Washington Post bestseller list right behind Michelle Obama and which Good Morning America's Robin Roberts chose as one of her favorite books of 2019. Through her own commitment to give back, Laura has helped build a local Montessori school, co-founded a women's philanthropic initiative, advised a startup national women's PAC, grew a citizen leadership development program, and completed three charity-inspired marathons, Project emblematic of her passions and values. She's turned on by the audacity of the big idea and that larger-than-life goal you can't seem to shake. She's an instigator, a motivator, and a provocateur, and she's never met a revolution she didn't like. I absolutely love this conversation. We've gone to so many different angles with Laura. Um, it was really powerful, so I hope you all enjoy it. And without further ado... Please welcome in Laura Gassner-Odding. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you today. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you after kind of looking through a lot of stuff. I, you know, it's always curious with all these different folks I get the, the chance to talk with in the podcast and the varying backgrounds they come from and all the unique ways they got to where they're at today. So if we can, I'd love to have that as a starting point, you know, being the Just Get Started podcast, you know, everyone has their unique moments in time that they can look back to that kind of shifted their thinking or shifted their perspective, maybe, or just put them on a different path altogether. Is there a moment, maybe there's two that you remember um, of kind of what you'd call like a getting started moment kind of kicked you into gear or got you thinking differently to move in the direction you are today? So Brian, I could answer that question one of two ways. I can either give you the like super put together, I'm a professional, I'm 50, I had this whole plan the whole time. Or I could tell you the honest, unvarnished truth, which is that I have never, ever known 
what I was doing. And I think that people, I mean, look, it's, it's, I'm not sure when this show is airing, but right now it's getting towards the end of May. It's graduation season, which means it is trite advice season, right? So we're getting all of those speeches um, from people telling you to follow your passion and all that nonsense garbage that doesn't really work, right? Like when somebody tells you to follow your passion, it leaves you in this place where you're like, I don't know what my passion is. I just need to find my passion. As soon as I find my passion, then everything will be perfect because all I have to do is follow it. But, you know, it's hard to get started if you can't figure out your passion. And so for me, I thought I had a passion. I thought my passion was going to be running for uh, running for office. I was going to be the first female Democratic senator from the great state of Florida, which, by the way, that job's still open. So Florida, if you're listening, get on it. Um, just get started. But, uh, but, but then I found myself in law school. And when I was in law school, I got there and I was, you know, when you watch those uh, legal movies and you see that law student who's the kid who gets called on the very first day, Oh, sure. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. The one who gets called on and called on and called on and called on until they like break down and cry. They get embarrassed. They don't know the answers. They fall apart. They're like the example. Yeah. And that was me. I was the example on the very first day. And I sat down after like 40 minutes and just collapsed in tears. And I looked around and I was like, I've made a huge mistake. I don't belong here. I don't want to be here. And so the complete unvarnished truth is that I did what most people do when they're in a situation they don't want to be in, which is that I dated somebody who was terrible for me. So I dated this guy (laughs) who um, I'd ridden my bike to campus and I promised the story. It's coming to a close, but I didn't know. Go into it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) And it was raining that day. And um, he said, well, I'll just put your bike in the back of my IROC Z, which tells you everything you need to know about this guy. Okay. Again, I dated a guy who was terrible for me. Um, but I just want to go to this, 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 this candidate's office. He's running for president. I want to pick up some campaign literature because as I mentioned, I'm 50. So, you know, I, I was in law school before running water. And that meant that in order to find out information about candidates for office, you had to actually literally go to a local office. So we drove to a local office and it was Bill Clinton's campaign office in Gainesville, Florida. There was this little tiny TV in the corner of the office. And that little tiny TV had a black and white video of then governor Bill Clinton, given this impassioned plea about community service, national service, service in exchange for college tuition. And in that moment, like a lightning bolt, I was like that, that needs to happen. So I joke around that that guy who I dated had great taste in precisely two things. The first, obviously being girlfriends, but the second being unknown presidential hopefuls from tiny Southern states that had no chance in hell of winning. And yet he did, right? So I saw that TV. I fell in love with the idea, with the idealism, with the promise, with all of it, with there's nothing wrong with America that can't be fixed fixed with what's right with America. Like I bought it. I still believe that. And I started volunteering on the campaign trail. I dropped out of a law school. I broke up with a boyfriend. I got involved in that campaign. I ended up in the White House. So when you say, like, was there a moment that you knew that you had a direction set, that you thought about it, it wasn't following my passion because my passion was wrong. It was following my interest and my curiosity and my idealism that got me to where I wanted to be. I didn't know I wanted to be there until years later when I'm like, oh, that made a lot of sense. Good job past me but I don't know if I can I I think it's hard to point to a moment I know your entire podcast hinges on this question right but I think it's hard to point to a moment and say this is the moment where I knew where I was going and I just got started it's really easier to connect the dots backwards well no and well that's actually a great point because 
I think Steve Jobs famously said that, right? Is yes. you know, we only can connect the dots looking backwards. And and I, but that's the whole point of like that was a getting started moment because recognizing that you have to figure it out kind of along the way. There isn't this just, yes. yeah, oh, I'm going to do this and then that's going to lead to this and then that's going to lead to that. There's yes. all the, you mentioned this serendipitous moment. If if you don't put your bike on that car and, and you're like, no, this guy's weird, I'm not doing this. Who knows? We're not Who talking knows? today maybe, right? You don't know. Who knows? And, and you think about, and that's what's so intriguing just in general about serendipity and if you create those opportunities for yourself where you can ultimately lead, you know, again, you don't know if it's going to lead good or bad, but as you look back, you're like, wow, that moment, I see, I see this a lot because it comes up a lot on the podcast and this is a random tangent, but like, you know, getting laid off from a job. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, I've got laid off before, but that led me to meeting a mentor that's still a mentor to this day. One of the yes. most important people in my life. Yes. I would not have worked for him if I did not get laid off a few weeks prior. And, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. So, you know, I, this, this is what I wrote about in my book, Limitless, um, which has the subtitle, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path and Live Your Best Life. Because yeah. the truth is, like, you do have to ignore all those people who have said, like, the way to do it is this, like, getting laid off is failure. Well, it's not. In fact, it was the right thing for you. It worked out perfectly, right? Yeah. Like dating the guy who wasn't my mother's definition of success was the perfect person to introduce me to what would be the rest of my life. So yeah. I think we have to stop trying to like get started on everyone else's definition of success and figure out what we really want and that's the the only way to do that is to explore and to and to and to go you know left turns and right turns and u turns you know i spent 20 years doing executive search so i was retained by my clients to hire and 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 uh, find recruit retain the most successful people in the world and I will tell you, Brian, that the most interesting people, in fact, the only interesting people really who I interviewed over those 20 years were the people like you and me who had like the layoffs and the failures and the uncertainties and the changes and those left turns and right turns and new turns because that makes for interesting stories. It makes for lessons. It makes yeah. for learnings. But we're told that failure is finale. It's the end of the road. When in fact, it's really just fulcrum. It's the place from which we learn and we grow and we iterate and we and and, and we innovate. But on the that note about making your own luck. I, I'm actually um, finalizing the manuscript for my next book. And I talk in the next book, there's a chapter about luck. And we think that some people are born lucky, that it just works out. But the truth is, you have to make your own luck, right? Like there's some people who just have bad instincts and they make wrong decisions yeah. every chance they get. Like you give them 99 good chances and one bad one, they're going to make the bad one. But for the rest of us, right? The people who are lucky are the ones who make their own luck. And the way to make your own luck is to say yes to opportunity, is to go to the event, is to say, um, you know, I'm interested in the party, is to put yourself out there. I'm a raging introvert. I don't like to go to these things, but I understand their they're, they're the, the, the reason for them. So I'll have a strategy when I go, but being able to put yourself in the deal flow, right? Like you got laid off, but then you found this mentor and you said yes to doing things with this mentor. That's why it worked. If you weren't in a say yes mindset, if you were just in a like, things are terrible, I got laid off. I'm not even going to go meet with this person. What a waste of my time. Yeah. You wouldn't have had that opportunity. So yeah. you made your, it was luck, but like you said, you make your own luck. Well, can I, you know, it's so funny now that you mentioned that if I share a little bit deeper, you know, yes. so the reason that all happened is I was interviewing for, for jobs on, and from a sales side 
and I was interviewing at this at another local company, and I knew a guy I went to college with because I went to I actually from upstate New York, but I moved down to Carolinas to go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was in, so he was close um, in in the area. Anyways, long story short, is I reached out to him because he had worked at that company. Mm. I went to college, and I said, "Hey, any advice? I'm interviewing here. Any thoughts on the team? I saw you're connected on LinkedIn yes. with a few of these folks." Yes. He's the one that responded to me and said, Hey, Brian, sorry to, you know, took an extra day. I think he got back to me after I literally like the interview was basically done Mm. or I was in the interview and he's like, Hey, any chance you can catch up for lunch or a coffee today? And he ended up being the director of sales at this company that ultimately the mentor, you know, him and his wife started the company. So it's kind of funny how, but to your point, if I don't take the stance of reaching out, now he may never got back to me, and again, who knows? But the fact that he reached out back to me and and he trusted me because he knew me from college, and he's like Brian's yes. a good guy. I think he could do well. That ultimately led to us meeting up, and then I literally got off of the job like four days later or something like that. Yeah. So like, here's the thing: we're all so afraid to just get started because we're like, oh my god, what if I fail? What if it doesn't work? What if people look at me? Oh my god, what if it's terrible? My favorite Eleanor Roosevelt quote which is hard because there are a lot, but it's like picking your favorite child. But my favorite Eleanor Roosevelt quote is this one. We would think much less about what everyone else thought about us if we realized how seldomly they did. (laughs) Nobody's paying attention. Everyone is so worried about everybody else looking at us feeling that we're not looking at anybody else. So like, you know, I think it's really important to say like, this guy offered me a thing. Sure, why not give it a try? What if it doesn't work? Worst case scenario, I'm exactly where I started, right? It doesn't mean anything. Nobody's paying that much attention. Nobody cares that much. And, you know, I just, we, we are trained from such an early age to be like, we're only as good as our grades. We're only as good as our last internship. We're only as good as our major. It's nonsense. It's nonsense, right? You're only as good as how you show up and who you are every single day. That has nothing to do with whatever labels other people put else on you, you know, in in the past. And so I love that, you know, this guy got back to you and you were like, yeah, okay, why not? Right. You took, he took a chance on you, but you took a chance on him too. Yeah. And I think part of that was a time, you know, it's, it's such an interesting time in my life. This was probably, this is 2014, where I was really changing my mindset and, yes. and branching out and what I remember was and that was a smaller startup I think I was employee 24 where I just came from a, a very large organization I think I realized for me I'm like I'm an entrepreneur at heart I want to be a part of growing and, and I can wear my hat you know yes. my put my hat into a lot of different areas so I think it just happened to work out because I'm like this is where I belong right now yes. this seems right um I want to you, you've I've, I've jotted a few words as we're talking that are kind of going to pull us in some different areas, but I think are so valuable. And one and I and I hope you'll take this as a compliment, but researching prior and then obviously even just talking to you for a few minutes here, you seem extremely confident. Yeah. And but the story you shared earlier about you were the one being called on and didn't feel yeah. you know that do you like how did that gap get filled there? Do you recall any instances where you became more confident or learned confidence in your journey? Any things that stand out? Sure, yeah. Um, so as I mentioned already, I'm 50, I'm 51. Um, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Is yeah, that absolutely, all right? go ahead. Yeah, all I right. the authority to do that. I made it through the fuck you 40s. 
Is that a thing? I'm I'm approaching 40 next year. So okay, (laughs) let me just tell you, and I don't know, it might just be a female thing. Um, I don't know any men who have dealt with this. I think most men are, you know, wake up and out of, you know, out of the womb and are like, fuck you, I'm a male. Everything's awesome. Um, But for women, I think we spend a good portion of the first three decades of our lives trying to please everyone. You know, am I the good daughter? Am I the good sister? Am I, you know, polite with the guests? Am I getting the right grades? Did I put my hair in the right pigtails? All the nonsense. And then in our teen years, it's like, do I weigh the right number? Am I shrinking enough? Am I small enough? Am I not taking enough space? Like we, we, you know, society does a number on women. And then, you know, you get into your 20s and it's, can you balance a career? Can you find the right spouse? You get into your 30s. Are you a mom or are you a worker, right? There's just so much pressure uh, for women, I think in particular, and I know men have it too, but I think particularly for women. Um, and then you hit 40 and you're like, you know what? I'm, this is who I am. I'm not getting much better. I hope I'm not getting much worse. You don't like me. Fuck you. Like, this is just where I'm at right now. And I think, I think I, I, for me, it, it took being an entrepreneur, to be honest. It really took being an entrepreneur. So when I was 31 years old, I had my first baby. And right before I had that baby, I, I had been working at, at an executive search firm. And I had one of those Jerry Maguire moments where I was sort of sitting at my desk one day and I was like, you know, there is a better way to do this work. We could have a different business model that that helps the client more, that feels better for me as an employee, right? Like gets me more engaged and gets me more money in my pocket and gets me more inspired by the work. And it could just be better for everyone all around. So I marched into my boss's office and I was like, there is a better way, you know, again, idealism, right? The, like the, the me who's always been there, this idealist person, there's a better way. And he was like, there's the door. (laughs) Basically he was like, you could either stay and do things my way, or you could leave if you don't like it. And, you know, once you realize that you're not part of the solution, and as an entrepreneur, I know you feel this. Once you realize you're not part of the solution for your customers, you realize that you're only part of the problem. And that was just kind of untenable for me. So I was like 11 months pregnant and I marched out the door with, you know, my manifesto in hand. And if I had a goldfish, I would have taken that too. And I started my own company and then I had a baby and, um, TMI, but I had 24 hours of labor and an unplanned C-section. So I got pregnant the day I tried, super healthy pregnancy, and then my water broke and everything fell apart. And then pretty much from the moment my water broke for the next, I'd say four years, I basically had my ass handed to me every single day, either whether it was in motherhood or, you know, as an entrepreneur or just everything I was doing, it was like never enough. It was too hard. I wasn't selling. I didn't know how to be a parent. It was just, everything was hard. And I sort of came through that time understanding really who I was and not only who I was, but who I wasn't, who I was for and who I wasn't for, right? So like either there were, I I would either bend myself into a pretzel to try to be right for clients who weren't really right for me. In the end, they didn't pay me enough money. They took too much of my time. They didn't really love how I did the work. They kind of wanted me to do it a little bit like this, a little bit like that until I really understood what I did well. And it just took time. Once I understood what I did well, I was unstoppable. I could sell to anybody, anytime. I could pick and choose my clients. I understood that it wasn't about telling, asking my kids if they want to wear a coat in the middle of a snowstorm, but do you want to wear the red coat or the blue coat, right? They think they have a choice. I'm pretty happy with both, whatever they pick, right? Like it took me some time, but I think I had to really get my ass handed to me a lot over and over and over again in order to really understand what I could do and really what I didn't want to do anymore. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's so funny. And you mentioned the, the fuck you 40s. Have you ever heard of the, uh, this is a philosophy I live by over the last couple of years. Have you ever heard the, the fuck yeah or no philosophy? Absolutely. Okay. So th- and that's like how I make decisions. Yes. But I, I think until you know yourself, or at least, again, I think we're always learning and growing and adapting. But until you kind of know what I don't want, we're always signing up for things or saying yes to things that are just so <laughs> yes. like, you know? Yes, yes. And I, and, and I, I would say that I think I think that's probably where I was in my, in my thirties also, as I was either like, if it's not a fuck, no, or it's not a fuck. Yeah. It's a fuck. No. But then I realized that it's like, some things are just a fuck. No. Like I know from the beginning, if somebody's going to call me up and ask me to fly on three different planes and a van and, and, you know, and, and, you know, spend three nights for, you know, a fifth of my rates, that's a fuck. No, unless I deeply and madly in love with the client or the cause or the company or whatever it is. But like, I can make that decision. But what I realized is that, okay, it's very clear that there's the fuck no. And it's very clear what's the fuck yeah. Where I am now is that I understand that things, some things are a fuck yeah. Oh, wait, I was wrong. I'm going to put the book down. I'm going to decide not to train for that big event. I'm going to actually pull back that offering and not, you know, have that anymore as part of my business model. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I was younger, I think I would have just beaten myself into it. I would have muscled through it no matter what. And what I realized is that there's a tax on that time and there's a tax on your exhaustion because you know we only have so much time to go around you have you have you know time with your family you have time with your friends you have time in your community you have time on your business there's so many things time with yourself right there's so there's so much time and everything you say yes to there's a tax on all of it so if something you thought you'd love something and you decide you don't you can stop. So what I write about in Limitless is that we make these decisions when we're 15, 16, 17, 18 years old about what kind of career we want to have, what major we want to have, what kind of job we want to have, what kind of trade we want to have. And then we pursue that. Like me, I'm going to be a lawyer. I was watching Susan Day and LA Law and Allie McBeal. And I was like, wow, that's glamorous. I'm going to be a lawyer. And then I got to law school and had that like, oh, oops, right? I had that moment. If I had said, well, I decided it was a fuck yeah, so I just have to keep going, I'd still be a lawyer today and I'd be miserable. But I allowed myself the grace to say, you know what? I am an evolving creature. I learn. And what a great gift to have like a brainstem so I'm capable of doing it. Because when you're 15, 16, 17 years old, making this decision about the rest of your life, the part of your brain that you actually don't have fully developed is your frontal lobe. Like the actual part of your brain that dictates good, sound, logical decision-making. So we're asked to make this decision about the very rest of our entire lives before we even have the capacity to make a good one. So I think what's really important is to understand that there are things that are a fuck no or a fuck yeah, but you're also going to change. So something that you really loved years ago may not serve you anymore and it's okay to not do it like you know you know there's some people who like they will not put a book down even though they hate it they will finish the entire damn book yeah you know how many books there are in the world why would you waste your time on books that are bad yeah you know it's so funny i i've done that recently where i just you know i stopped like halfway through either i picked up the thought you know like the thoughts i you know i would get from it or i just wasn't enjoying it and i had this weird thing i don't know if you've ever done this like i had this weird thing where i like i felt i was like well the author put so much time to it let me just finish let me crank through it and then i'm like brian what the hell like if you don't want the you know read the book there's only so much time but it's so funny there's also another author who's put a lot of time into their book yeah. And maybe they deserve yeah. your time more. Yeah. So that's why I decided like, yeah, like, wait a minute. If if I don't like this anymore, that's okay. And that's the that's okay. that, I think that's the part of reading too, is that 
you're picking up because, you know, again, with some of the children's books and some of these other books I'm writing as well, like yourself, you start to pick up little things like, oh, I like how they styled this, or I like this thought here or that. And sometimes I just like, when they're way too wordy, I'm like, ugh, this is just not for me. Not, mm-hmm. not, not what I like to enjoy. Move on, you know, and, and pass it. So no big deal. It's okay. I mean, look, there are a lot of flavors of ice cream. Like I am never going to go and get, you know, I'm sitting here trying to think of a flavor of ice cream I don't like. <laughs> That's probably the wrong choice. But, you know, I'm never going to get something with walnuts in it. I don't like walnuts. Some people may be like, oh, my God, Laura's the worst. Walnuts are amazing. What is she talking about? But, you know, everybody's got their own palate, and it's totally cool. And, you know, I think it's the same way. Like you said earlier, I'm an entrepreneur. Some people are entrepreneurs. Some people are not. You know, we have this love and fascination and romance with entrepreneurs in our society right now. And it makes people are like, well, I was talking to somebody the other day who was so incredibly successful. Her book has sold 500,000 copies. She um, is in the C-suite of a, you know, Fortune 50 company. And she was like, yeah, I know, Laura. But I mean, like, if I really had courage, I'd go out on my own and be an entrepreneur. She's like, but I just don't have that, that that palette. I don't have the risk palette. And I was like, what are you talking about? Why are you like, there's this idea that there's something wrong with that. And so, you know, she's an entrepreneur. Like I think they're entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs are people who like to just do the same thing every single day. Awesome. They're people who write the music. They're people who, you know, conduct the music. They're people who are the first chair violinists. They're people like me who can't hold a tune in a bucket and just like to listen to the music, right? Like it takes all kinds to create that ecosystem. And uh, you know, I think that that's, I think that's a really important thing for us to remember is that like, there are going to be books that you like, there are going to be books that you hate, there are going to be roles that are right for you, there are going to be roles that aren't. But we have this idea that things aren't working out, like we're trying and we're trying and we're trying and things aren't working out, but it may just be that we're just, you're just not trying the right thing. Yeah. And that's that sunk cost fallacy. Like you have to keep going with it. You know, we have to, we invested X amount of monies or dollars instead of just, you know, cutting it off and saying, let's move on. Yeah, yeah. Time is valuable. Time is valuable. And I think what people are like, well, I've invested so much money. I need to make sure I really prove myself wrong. It's like, no, you already already proved yourself wrong. Fail fast. Keep going. Move on. Yeah. Let me ask you this because I, and I I do want to actually talk about the the book because when did you decide that you wanted to write, that you wanted to be an author? Yeah, I decided that I, well, two times. So in 2007, 2006, I got a phone call from Kaplan Publishing saying, hey, uh, we have a series about going into nonprofit work and we'd like you to write one of them. We have uh, one going about going from into nursing, one about going into te- teaching, and we want one about going from corporate to nonprofit work. And I said, um, I'm sorry, is this a crank call? Like it was just this random call that came out of the blue. So I actually wrote a book in 2007, but it was kind of more of a guidebook. Um, I did that because somebody asked me to do it plain and simple. They were like, you know, here's, here's an advance. We need this book. And I was like, okay, cool. That seems like fun. Why not? P.S. It wasn't a lot of fun, Uh, (laughs) but I decided to write Limitless. uh, And I'll tell you the exact moment. I was standing on a stage and I was looking around at the other people on the stage. I was like on the undercard and they were on like, you know, they were the main speaker and I knew what I was getting paid and I knew what they were getting paid. And I was like, Hmm, it seems like we're both doing the same amount of work here today. I want to get paid that amount of money. And I was like, what's the difference between me and them? They have a book. 
I should get me one of them. So for the people who knew that I had a book, I had a book about working in the nonprofit space, which is not what I talk about anymore. So I had brand confusion. And for the ones who didn't know I had a book, well, I didn't have a book. So I had no brand. So really, I decided to write a book in that moment because I was like, this business that I'm in is not a merit-based business. I'm a better speaker than that person. I have better ideas than that person. I know more people than that person. I have a bigger platform than that person. Why are they getting paid twice as much as I'm getting paid to do the same thing? Mm. They have a book. They have the illusion of being more of an expert. So I was like, well, that's horseshit. So I flew home and I called a friend of mine who uh, is a publisher. And I was like, hey, I want to write this book. And... um, do you want the whole story of how of how this of happened? Course, it was going to be a different book. Okay, so it was going to be a different book. So I called him up and I'm like, "Listen, I talk to people about finding confidence and about like being all they can be, and I want to write a book about being a confidence catalyst." And he was like, "Great, uh, maybe we've got this other guidebook series again. See the guidebook, and I'd love for you to do one about doing work that matters, like work that's important." And I was like, well, I already wrote that book. I don't want to do it again. I want to write this other book. And he's like, well, this is how the game is played. You write this book for me. Cool. And then I'll have you write whatever you want to write. And I was like, all right, fine. So I start writing the guidebook. And I'm just taking my old book and I'm like condensing it into like a half size of what it, what it was. And I'm butting heads with the editor back and forth and back and forth. And I was like, this just isn't working. I don't want to be writing this book. I'm She's like wordsmithing me. It's a pain in the ass. Like I'm an expert. She's not why is she second guessing me? So I called the editor up after six weeks of this. And I was like, listen, I don't think that this is the book for me. And I don't think I'm the author for you. And I think you should fire me. And he said, you're right. I agree. And I went, wait, what? And he was like, but I've been reading what you've been writing and there's this bigger idea in there. And I think that you should write that book, which by the way, wasn't the original book I came to him about. He goes, I think you should write that book. And I want to publish that book in the spring in hardback when big idea comes out, when big idea books come out. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) So um, I called a friend of mine in a total panic. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? What am I going to do? And he was like, Laura, well, what do you want people to feel like after they've written, after after they've read your book? Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I'm just so damn frustrated that people are so limited by everyone else's ideas of who they can be and what they can be and, uh, you know, what success means. And I just want them to just ignore all those idiots already and just, you know, live their own life and be happy. And he's like, Mm -hmm. so you want them to be limitless, ignore everybody, carve their own path and Mm -hmm. live their best life. And I was like, oh my God, man, I love you. You're amazing. You're brilliant. I don't talk to you nearly enough, but I need to hang up the phone right the hell now and go write that book. And Brian, I'll tell you, six weeks later, Limitless was done. Mm, wow. So that's how, <laughs> that's how I wrote it. Um, and, and, you know, so I tell people the book took me six weeks to write, but it really took me 25 years and six weeks to, to come up with. Um, sure. So, you know, it, it, is, it is obviously the culmination of 20 years of executive search and what I learned from interviewing thousands of people and understanding why they weren't actually happy. You know, I was called to I called the most successful people in the world and they called me back because despite all the success, they weren't very happy. And I was fascinated by that question about why success doesn't equal happiness. But I decided to write the book because I just, yeah, it seemed to me that if I was going to go through the trouble of flying somewhere, getting all dolled up, getting on stage and memorizing 60 minute talk, I should get paid just as much as everybody else. 
that's well, a lot of serendipitous moments in there <laughs> of how you got to that uh, idea. It's a righteous indignation. <laughs> that's pretty cool. How did you, did you do anything specific in the writing process? Did you map out a certain way you want to write each day or a number of words, anything like anything specific that you share that was helpful? Um, you know, there are so many great tips about how to write, do your morning pages, do, you know, certain chapters, protect your time, do all of that. I didn't, I didn't do any of that. I just, I am, I am a really undisciplined writer. Um, So here's how I think about writing. I think about writing, like, imagine you're walking around the outside of a house and from the backyard, you can see into, you know, the living room and from the side, you can see into the kitchen and from the front door, you can kind of see what's happening in the living room and you walk around the other side and you see what they're watching on TV. And so you see what's happening in the house as you're walking around, sort of casing the joint, looking at all the windows. And so I think about an idea going around and around and around the idea. And then eventually I find the front door. Mm. I find like the story or the hook or the aha moment or the, 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 whatever the thing is, that's going to be like the gotcha. And you're Mm. now you're hooked. Now you're interested. And once I find the front door, I run through that front door, like thing one and thing two and Dr. Seuss. And I know where everything is because I've spent so long sort of walking around the house and casing the joint that I write in fairly final form. So I, um, Amy Cuddy, you know, the the presence, right? The power pose. Um, Amy Cuddy uh, once said to me, I don't write every day. Like that's what people say, like good discipline writers write every day. She goes, I don't write every day, but I think about writing every day. Yeah, and so that's I think a great point. That's, yeah, I think that's how I do it. Yeah, that came up actually in, a, in an interview I had yesterday. We were talking about writing and and we were talking about Seth Godin a little bit and and kind of the you know writing every day. And that's and that's almost similar to what I said because I was like, yeah, I think about it. Sometimes I don't always write, but it's like sitting in thought, being still, kind of letting my mind wander. Yes, that's the first step to actually being able to write. If I don't have the thoughts, I can't write. Absolutely. I mean, people are always like, kids today don't know how to write. And I'm like, no, it's because kids today just don't know how to think. Like we have to teach people how to think full thoughts and to come up with arguments and to be able to defend those arguments. And once you've, once you've done the thinking, you can do the writing. When somebody shows me bad writing, it's not bad writing. It's just sloppy, lazy thinking. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you bring that up, because I wanted to get to a point you made earlier, but to kind of loop that around is it was this, this blog that I wrote recently and thinking about like, you know, I have a, a, a almost well, 10 next month, um, 10 year old son. And, and you know, this w- with kids is like the coloring inside the lines. Like you kind of, you know, it's like, Oh, if you, if you color outside the lines, all of a sudden, like that's bad. You know, we, we yeah. got taught that as kids, but you realize like, no, that's just how they want to express themselves in that moment. And I was thinking about this moment. I don't know if you ever had this, but like, Sometimes my my son, I'll give him like like cardboard and tape and like some pens. I'm like, make something, like go figure it out. And you'll come back with like this boat. I'm like, what the hell? But it's like if you let their mind wander and let them be creative, yes, it's amazing what could happen. And I think yes. that's where we all get into spots where we get so focused. We talked about earlier about kind of society puts us in these boxes. We get so focused on we got to do this or that. We almost forget to let our imagination run wild and let us do what we actually, what happiness is to us. We we, we can't define happiness if we don't let ourselves actually get out and explore, you know? Yes. You know, and people always say things like, oh, I come up with my best ideas in the shower or when I'm on a run or when I'm like not at my desk. And it's like, yeah, that's because it's the only time you let your mind wander. (laughs) Like your mind has to alchemize all the inputs in order to come up with these great ideas. And so I do think it's super important to just sit 
and think and just let all those things percolate. And, and, and we don't do it because we, you know, because a we're lazy, right? Like we want things to be easier. We've been trained to like hit the easy button. We don't do it because um, we, we expect immediate satisfaction, right? Like as soon as I have this idea, I want it to be like formed and done and perfect and let's go. We don't do it because the speed of business is so quick that we feel like we should be able to put these things out there. I mean, you know, Susan Cain, uh, who wrote the book Quiet, uh, the the introvert manifesto basically, just put out a new book called uh, uh, Bittersweet. And it's all about... Um, it's all about the the sort of uh, melancholy feelings and how that leads to growth. And, mm-hmm. you know, what I love about Susan's model is that Susan just disappears for like two years. And then she comes yeah. out with like a new TED talk that's going to be seen by 60 million people and a New York Times number one bestseller. And she just like, she does the work, but she takes the time. And I, you know, I just, I think we could all do a whole lot better work if we just took the time to do yeah. some thinking about it. Is that, you know, you mentioned something earlier about, you know, success not equaling happiness. Um, and I'm curious, just through your journey, and maybe what you explore with the book, any anything deeper that you've kind of learned of why that's not happening, why folks, you know, are not kind of, hey, I, I'm successful, or they look successful, but yet they're not happy in life. Anything specific? Um, yeah, I mean, that. you know, I, I, I've got 40,000 words of the book Limitless that can tell you that. Um, but basically what I learned is that we have been taught that when we achieve success, we'll be happy, right? And so I wrote Limitless with this idea of that that actually doesn't happen because we're not pursuing our own definition of success, mm-hmm. but other people's definition of success. Yeah. So, you know, um, having the right house, having the right spouse, having the right clothes and exactly the right size, um, having the right job, making the right money, you know, having the right title, the right corner office, the right view, all of those things. And we get there, we get to the top and we're like, the top of what? this really where I want to be? Why am I here? Why am I not happy? Right. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it's because we're pursuing someone else's definition of success. We're filling in all the check boxes, but we just still feel empty. So my book is really based around this idea of not pursuing success, but pursuing consonants. So this alignment, this flow, when what you do really matches who you are. And I talk about it being uh, really four areas of calling, connection, contribution, and control. So calling is this gravitational force that gets you up in the morning, like the business you want to build, the leader who inspires you, the cause you want to serve, the family you want to nurture, right? What is the calling? What is the thing you really want to do? The second is connection. Does the work you're doing on a daily basis actually connect to that calling? What's in your calendar? What's on your to-do list? How, what emails are you responding to? Are they getting you closer to or further from serving that calling? The third piece is contribution. Uh, and contribution really answers the question, how does this work contribute to your life? Is it allowing you to manifest your values on a daily basis? Is it giving you the money you want for the lifestyle that you need? Does it give you the flexibility for the life that you want? How is this work contributing to the career trajectory that you seek? And then last is control. And control is really all about how much does your hustle put money in your pocket? What metrics are you um, are you judged upon? And do you have any influence over them? What teams do you get assigned? What, um, uh, what, what prospects do you get? What kind of control do you have over where you do your work, how you do your work, when you do your work? And so these four elements of calling, connection, contribution, and control, we all want differently at each age and at each phase of our life. So when I was younger, dropping out of law school, I had all the calling in the world, right? I was like so inspired by this idea of national service. 
I didn't care that I had no connection. I was getting the coffee for the guy who got the coffee for the guy who got the coffee. In terms of contribution, I was manifesting my values on a daily basis, but I was being paid in all the ramen soup I could eat. If this guy won, possibly pretty interesting career trajectory, but was I going to have a shot at that? Who knows? Very little, small chance. I got very lucky. And then control, clearly, I didn't know if they were going to send me to Wichita or Washington the next day. It didn't matter. Now, again, 50, I'm a bit of a princess. And so like, I'm not going to get on a plane and travel all over, you know, the world for less than my rates. I have one kid in college and one who's about to leave. And I find these moments at home to be very precious. I don't want to miss out on them. Right. So my life looks very different now. So my rubric of calling connection, contribution and control is different today than it was then. Because you've defined happiness and what that is to you. Because I've continued to define yes. and redefine and yeah. redefine, right? Going back to what we were saying earlier. Now, I will also say um, I'm this weekend actually going to give a TEDx talk. I'm debuting my next book, um, nice. which is going to be called Wonder Hell. And it's based on the idea that each time we achieve success, what we realize is that it's not a final destination. It's a portal that shows us that we can do even more than we thought possible. So once you figure out your own definition of success and you go for it, you're like, wow, this is amazing. This is incredible. This is energizing. The work I did opened more doors than I ever thought possible. Yeah. But it's also teasing the opportunity of even more doors that I never thought possible. And maybe, just maybe, I want to go there too. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's like it's like in the Matrix, taking the red pill, you kind of open your eyes to like, holy crap, what's out there that I never even thought about? Exactly. Before? So success yeah. is wonderful, but it's also incredibly stressful and anxiety provoking and identity shaking. It's wonderful, but it's also kind of hell. Mm. It's kind of wonder hell. Yeah. When did uh, I got to ask then? When did that idea come up? Was that was that <laughs> random as well, or that idea came up? Um, and I'm going to tell the story actually in my TEDx. So you're getting a sneak preview. Well, this is great. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. that idea, the moment for me happened at 35,000 feet with 1,200 miles behind me and 1,200 more to go. I was completely exhausted. I had been spending the previous three weeks existing on nothing but coffee and protein bars and the mm. rush of adrenaline that bowel shaking terror offers by the fistful. But at this moment, on that too small seat, on that too long red eye flight, I realized this thing has legs, right? Mm. Sort of in that alchemy of exhaustion and achievement, I had that like that moment where the part of my brain that normally governs my humility just went shh, gone, disappeared. Mm. And I heard that voice going, you can do more. This can be bigger. This thing has legs. Go, go, go. And I was like, oh, I think I want it. <laughs> I want to go. And I had that moment where I was like, well, I was on the Today Show. Maybe I could be on Good Morning America. And if I got on Good Morning America, someone's got to be under the oak tree with Oprah. Why not me? So I got under the, I got on Good Morning America. But Oprah, if you're listening, call me, girl. <laughs> still want to come on and then then call me next Oprah (laughs) call us both we'll go on together but I had that moment where I was like wait a minute oh and I realized that the space I was in was not on that red-eye flight but I was in wonder hell I was like this is incredible it's amazing it's humbling it's wonderful and also I am so tired I don't even know where I am anymore what day it is anymore it's hell Mm. but wait a minute this is showing me something, right? It's like not a breakdown, but it's a breakthrough. Like maybe this is 
the maybe this is not an endpoint, but a waypoint. It's not a final destination, but a portal. And I just had that like, oh, so it was 4 a.m. And I couldn't sleep. I just gave up and I opened up my laptop and I just started writing this long post on Facebook with a lot of what I just told you. And a friend of mine, actually the friend who told me uh, that I needed to call the book Limitless, uh, he was like, that's your next book. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. Ha, ha, ha. And I'll tell you, Brian, it's been... He's like the Oracle. Yeah, I know, I know. (laughs) It's been like two and a half years and I just couldn't get that idea out of my head. And everybody I talked to about it and I'm like, yeah, ha, ha, ha. It's like, I'm in wonder hell. And they were like, I'm in wonder hell too. Like Mm. everybody is in wonder hell because we're all constantly trying to do more and achieve and grow. and, 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 And we prove to ourselves every single day that we can do things that we never thought possible. And also at each phase and at each stage, each one of us, whether we are just getting started or whether we're sitting in a corner office, had the same crushing imposter syndrome, doubt, vulnerability, envy, exhaustion, burnout, all of it. I talked to Olympic medalists. I talked to startup unicorns. I talked to glass ceiling shatterers. I talked to everyday people like you and like me. Every one of us had exactly the same experience at every phase and at every stage. Wow. When's this next book coming out? Are you? Is it fully April. written? Well, um, I like to say that I've written 78,000 words of my 60,000 word book. (laughs) (laughs) It will get cut. So I'm in the editing stage right now. Yes. April 2023. April 2023 is the goal. Awesome. That's great. Yes. In fact, you know, you want to talk about just getting started. Um, Here's my last story for you. Uh, About six weeks ago, a friend of mine called me up and he said, hey, I'm friends with a guy who runs TEDx Reno. Uh, It's pretty big TEDx, 1,500 people. They get like a million views on all their videos. Um, I told him about your idea of Wonder Hell and he wants you to do a talk there. Mm. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) really funny. I don't know if I'm ready to do that. I'm not so sure. And he was like, well, I already told him about you. And he's already said that you're in. So here's the application. I'm like, oh, well, if I just have to apply, then no problem. I, he's not going to send him a bad application. Anyway. He's like, no, no, no. You're already in. Mm. So do you want to do it? And I had that moment where I had to decide, Brian, am I serious about this? Or am I just futzing around? Like, what am I going to do? So I decided to say yes. Not because I desperately wanted to go do another TEDx, which, you know, they don't pay you for, and it's a lot of work, and it's 12 minutes, and it's super stressful to, like, speaking for 12 minutes is harder than speaking for an hour. Um, But I said yes, because I was like, you know what? It is on a date certain. It is going to be a forcing mechanism. I'm going to have to get a tight 12 minutes on this idea, and once I do that, the editing of the book will be easier. And I'm going to do it. And when I do it, I'm going to be able to stay there. And the book is coming out in April, 2023, which means then I have to have it to my editor by July 5th, which means that she has to have it back to me by August 1st, which means that I have to have it back to the publisher by September 30th. So I decided rather than just waiting for myself to be ready to just get started, I would force my own hand and I would just pick a date that was super public. And then I would announce to the world that I'm doing a talk on this date. So I couldn't back out. That's awesome. That's like, that's, uh, I think Parkinson's law, right? Time expands to fill the work needed for its completion. Is that it right? It does. It does. Right? That's Parkinson's law. <laughs> so and you, I, yeah, you could have picked <laughs> two years in the future and been like, I'll get there. But yeah, I exactly. think putting those constraints are valuable. So I picked a date that kind of scared the shit out of me a little yeah. bit. Cause I think that if your goals don't scare the shit out of you just a little bit, they're probably not worthy of you. Yeah. That's a great point. All right. Now <clears throat> you talked about the commencement speech earlier. <laughs> So this is the point I always like to end on. 
because, you know, I'm big on like, you know, a, a quote I see or something kind of like a dose of little motivation for today. So, you know, I like to say you have a post-it note you put on your computer. So is there a piece of advice, anything you'd share, something maybe to someone listening in to rile them up today to get started, to move forward a little bit, you know, quicker, better, whatever it might be, anything that you'd share to end our conversation on? Yeah, I'd say that all of us are being held back by these opinions that are swirling around us, whether there are fourth grade teacher or a parent or an old boss or an ex-boyfriend or maybe a current spouse or a neighbor or somebody who's got this like, are you sure that's okay? Are you sure that's going to be good? Are you sure you can do it? It's nonsense, right? So here's what I would say. I would say you need to stop giving votes in your life to people who shouldn't even have voices. And that goes for the voice inside your own head sometimes too. That's a great point. And I like how we uh, color coordinated today, by the way. I didn't say that at the beginning. That's a perfect. Purple. <laughs> team purple. Oh, team purple. Um, Laura, this has been an absolute pleasure. I want to get you out of here. Um, I know you're heading out to the, the TED uh, X talk. Um, where can everyone pick up the book, say hello to you? What's the what the best spots? Yeah, so uh, my name is Laura Gassner Odding. So all my friends call me LGO. So you can find me on all the socials at hey LGO, H-E-Y-L-G-O, and H-E-Y-L-G-O.com gets you to my website. And the book is Limitless, How to mm. Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. And you can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Bookshop, anywhere fine books are sold. Oh, and if you are like calling, connection, contribution, control, I wonder how much of each of those I want in my own life. There are four questions you need to ask yourself, and you can find those four questions at myfourquestions.com. Awesome, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Laura, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining and uh, sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much, Brian. Hey everyone, just one more quick thing before you skip along in your day. You know, if you do enjoy this content or other things that I've put out or just enjoy learning more and trying to adapt your thinking uh, to become happier each and every day, there's a couple of things that you may benefit from. Um, If you go to my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe, you can sign up for my newsletter that goes out once a week. And that's really a digest of a lot of information that I gather throughout the weeks, whether it's a new video that I think could be informative or a podcast that's been valuable to me, book that I might read, etc. Um, secondly, I blog three times a week, and these are more micro blogs, one to five minute reads, short digestible blogs that'll send right to your inbox on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So check that out on my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe if you think it's something you might enjoy. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.